In our three days together, we're going to be focusing on the glory of God, the gladness of man, and the power to love. So those are the three messages that we'll be doing. And they hang together. The glory of God gives rise to and satisfies the soul of man to its fullest possible extent. And that fullness of the glory of God in the soul of man spills over into the most risk-taking, radical, sacrificial love of other people and mission to the world. So that's the flow of thought of these three days. And so the focus today is on the glory of God. Probably one of the most important questions you can ask is whether God exists. And God Himself, in answer to that question, gives Himself a name in the Bible, in the Old Testament Scriptures in particular. And He gives Himself a name that is used in the Old Testament over 6,000 times. Sometimes it's pronounced Yahweh or Jehovah, translated in English Lord or Seigneur. 6,000 times he gives himself this name, Yahweh, because the meaning of the name establishes his existence. Now perhaps you know where this name was explained. It's explained in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Moses tells us where the name Yahweh comes from. It's built on the phrase, I am, who I am. Let me read it to you. Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. What is your name? I am. That's his name. I exist. So a name was built around that phrase, I am, in Hebrew. The Hebrews considered that name so sacred that they wouldn't even pronounce it. They would substitute words like master. The name means I am who I am. There was nothing before me. I don't depend on anything. I did not come into being. Nothing outside of me determines my nature. I am absolute reality. 
So God's answer to your question and my question, does God exist, is an uncompromising, I am who I am. There's another question that in my experience has been perhaps even more life-shaping, influential in my experience. And that question is, why did God create the world? Or more specifically, why did God create me? Why did God create you? Why did God create Italy or the Balkan nations or the United States of America? Why did God create this world or this universe? And the short answer that thunders through the entire Bible is, I created the world for my glory. I created everything, I do everything in order to make my greatness and my glory shine. That's why I created the world. So let's begin with Isaiah chapter 43, verses 6 and 7 that go like this. Bring my sons from afar. Bring my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God created Israel, and God created all things for His glory. Go to the first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. What's the point? of creating humanity in the image of God. What's the point? What's the reason? Well, what are images for? What do images do? Images display the original. If you put an image of a famous person in your town, why do you do that? because you want to draw attention to the original. You want people to think about the person whose image is in the town. That's why you put the image there. So why would, why would God put seven billion images of Himself on planet Earth? It's not about the image. <laughs> What's the point of seven billion images of God? The point is God. That's why humanity exists. Everybody you will ever meet 
is designed by God to image, display God. So the short answer to the question, why does humanity exist, is humanity exists to show God, display God, glorify God. It's all about God, and not just humanity, but also the material universe, the created galaxies, the entire universe, and this whole planet, and all the solar system. It is all displaying the glory of God. That's exactly what Psalm 19 says, right? The heavens are telling the glory of God. Sometimes I run into people, I meet people who say, it's hard for me to believe in God since humanity seems to be such a tiny, tiny little part of the universe inhabiting one little planet in an endless vastness of billions of galaxies that seem to be devoid of people, humans. You know what the problem is with that statement? Their mind is thinking, there's something that doesn't fit here. Something doesn't make sense because the universe is so big and man is so small. They've got everything backward. It's backward. It's upside down. This universe was not designed to be a reflection of the bigness of man. This universe was designed to show little man how big God is. That's what the universe is for. And the universe is an understatement. God is vastly more glorious than the billions of galaxies. He carries the universe in his hand like a little nut. We don't exist to be made much of. We exist to make much of God. The whole universe is displaying the glory of God. Psalm 19, verse 1. It is all about God. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. The whole world is without excuse for although they knew God, 
The whole world knows God in the things that He has made. Although they knew the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you. Verse 10, I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake, I do it. How should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. You can't miss it. God's passion is for God. And until we feel God's radical commitment to the name of God and the holiness of God and the glory of God, we will not be humbled as we ought. And we will not stand in awe of Him as we are. Until we let God be God, we won't know why we exist. Isaiah 49, verse 3, He said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Isaiah 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. Ministry to the poor is that they may be called oaks, big mighty trees that cannot be shaken, oaks of righteousness that God may be glorified. So the reason God created humanity and the reason God created the universe and the reason God does everything He does is to glorify His name. To make Himself known, seen, loved, enjoyed, glorified. But be careful. The word glorify, at least in English, can be given a meaning that's not true. Compare it with the word magnify. Magnify, this is risky when you're talking to different languages. Magnify, in English at least, has two kinds of meaning. You can look through a microscope, a microscope, and little teeny things will be magnified and made to look bigger than they really are. Or, you can look through a telescope at the galaxies, you can look through a telescope and they will be magnified. But they aren't tiny. They are huge. They are greater than you can imagine. And when a telescope magnifies those galaxies, the telescope makes them look like they really are. When you magnify God or 
glorify God, you don't make Him look bigger than He is. You make His majesty, which is unimaginably great, but everybody around you thinks He's small and insignificant, you make God look more like He really is. That's the point. Glorify God means make God look more like He really is. Unimaginably great. That's why you exist. That's what your life is for. If you don't spend it that way, you waste it. Because that's why you're on the planet. You exist to make God look more like He really is in a culture where He is regarded as small and insignificant and marginal. When this takes a hold of you, when you are gripped by the truth that God does everything, created everything for His glory, it changes the way you think, it changes the way you feel, it changes the way you act. You now know from the Scriptures, not from me, but from the Scriptures, you know the most important fact about everything in the world. That's a big knowledge. You know the most important fact about everything in the world. Because everything in the world exists for the glory of God. And therefore you know that, and that is a profound and all-encompassing, all-pervading, all-transforming knowledge. And you know it, as I just told you. And I told you from the Scriptures, you will be accountable for that knowledge forever. You will stand before the judgment seat of God, and He will remind you John Piper showed you from my word why you exist. And you will be accountable from this day forward to live that way. Because you saw it. You heard it in the Bible. God's word, not mine. He has spoken. Everything exists for His glory. Now, I could just stop there, but let's make the question more specific. Not just why did God create the world, but why did He create this world? Meaning, a world that fell into sin and has been 
corrupted and ruined by sin everywhere. The whole creation is groaning in childbirth, as it were. Suffering is everywhere. It's horrible. This is a horrible place. The world is so full of suffering, if you saw all the suffering at once, you could not survive it. Why this place? Why did God create a world like that, that would go that way and become so evil and so full of pain? Now here's the short answer to that question. God created this kind of world, a world that at the beginning was perfect and then became ruined. He created a world that became ruined so that the glory of His grace would be magnified everywhere. Because if there were no sin, there would be no manifest Grace, because grace is God's merciful response to the guilt of sin. So let me show you this in five steps, very briefly. Five steps that show this fallen, sinful, ruined, corrupt, suffering-saturated world exists to display the glory of the grace of God. But before I give you the, the five steps, let me say some words about the nature of grace. I've been having conversations since I've been here, and it occurred to me that maybe we don't all see grace the same way. And grace, grace is used in the Bible in different ways. So you should never take the meaning of grace in one passage and make that meaning the meaning in another passage. You have to let each passage of Scripture determine or define the words that are in it. And then when you gather together all the definitions, you can have a, a coherent whole theology of grace. So let me stress one particular meaning of grace that may or may not be as familiar as some of the others. I'm going to call it sovereign grace or omnipotent grace. And by omnipotent or sovereign or almighty, I mean this grace is a power from God that overcomes every resistance and saves sinners. I'll say it again. A power 
flowing from God to undeserving sinners that overcomes all resistance and saves sinners. That's what I mean by sovereign grace. It saves us from start to finish. So let me linger for a moment on this definition or this meaning of grace. And I want to give you, I think, uh, a few texts. So you see it in the Bible. Remember, John Piper's opinion about sovereign grace does not matter. You got that? Is that clear? My opinion about sovereign grace does not matter. Neither does the Pope's opinion. Seriously. What matters is this book. And this book alone defines what grace is. Your pastor, his opinion doesn't matter. Your priest, his opinion doesn't matter. John Piper, his opinion does not matter. If you can't see it in the book, you don't have to believe it. Number one, a few passages to help you embrace for yourself that sovereign grace is in the book. Number one, sovereign grace. By sovereign grace, God chose a people for Himself. Romans 11.5 So, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen, chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So, we Christians are chosen by God. I chose you. You did not choose me first. I chose you first by grace. Sovereign grace on coerced, uninfluenced, unconstrained by me. It came to me freely and powerfully before I existed. Number two, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, by sovereign grace, God raises me and you from the dead, from spiritual death. Ephesians 2, 5, even when we were dead, in our trespasses. God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And the reason that little phrase, by grace you have been saved, is inserted right there in the verse is because he just said, God made you alive. How did you get any life? God raised you from the dead. That's why you see. That's why you breathe spiritual desires. You didn't create that. God created that. And He said, by grace that happened. Number three, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Sovereign grace gives the gift of faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, this salvation and this faith, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, lest anybody should boast. Where did your faith come from? God made you alive. 
and that new life saw Jesus as compelling. And in that sight, you believed. That's how you believed. That's how you came to faith. God did that. It's a free gift. When you stand before God someday, and He asks you, why did you believe on my Son? You won't say, because I was smart. Because I was intelligent. With tears streaming down your face, you will lift your hands and you will say, grace, grace, grace is why I believed. Number four, Romans 3.24, through this God-given faith, we were justified by sovereign grace. We are now justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And two chapters later, Romans 5.19, Paul explains what justified means. There's a huge disagreement between the Roman Catholic Church and the Evangelical Church about what justification means. Here's Romans 5.19. As by one man's disobedient. Now that's referring to Adam. As by one man's disobedience, the many were appointed sinners. So in our union with Adam, we're all sinners. Then he says, so by one man's obedience, that's Jesus, so by one man's obedience, many will be appointed righteous. As in union with Adam, you were appointed sinners, so in union with Christ, you are appointed righteous. Justification is the declaration that in Christ you are legally justified, legally innocent, legally accepted by God apart from any works of the law. Your righteousness is the obedience of Jesus Christ. And when the Lord asked you someday, what right do you, a sinner, have to stand in my presence? What are you going to answer? I'm going to answer Romans 5.19. I'm going to say, in Adam, I became a sinner. And in Christ, I was imputed the righteousness, the obedience of Jesus. Your son's obedience is my claim. And that's all. Number five, this is the last explanation of sovereign grace. Number five, all of the love, horizontally, all of the obedience, all of the changed life that flows from a heart that has been made alive by sovereign grace, justified by sovereign grace, 
all the obedience, all the transformation, all the sacrifice that you make for the glory of God, that is the work of sovereign grace in your life. Let me read you what for me is one of the most important passages on this. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. The sovereign grace of God does not make you passive. It makes you work. But when you're done working, at the end of the day or at the end of your life, you say, it was not I. It was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So, grace among all the other things that it is and does in the New Testament is a a sovereign, omnipotent power of God to treat undeserving sinners better than we deserve by overcoming all our resistance, giving us new life, choosing us before the foundation of the world, justifying us and empowering us to lead lives that are loving and kind and sacrificial and mission oriented. So start to finish, our salvation is by grace. Now back, back to the five points and I'm, I'll try to make this short now. Five, five arguments from Scripture why God created this fallen world, this world that became fallen. Why He created a world that would look like that. My answer is for the display of the glory of His grace. Now I'm just going to show you that quickly in five passages of Scripture. Number one, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, God predestined us for adoption predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. And here's the key phrase. He did that unto the praise of the glory of His grace. I remember over 40 years ago, the first time I saw verse 6, Unto the praise of the glory of His grace is why God predestined me to be adopted as His Son. You are a Christian in order to praise the glory of grace. You can't praise it if you haven't experienced it and you can't praise it if you don't know what it is. 
which is why I lingered as long as I did over the definition and what it does. Number two, Ephesians chapter one, same verse, four and five and six. God planned that his grace would be praised. God chose us in him before the foundation of the world to the praise of the glory of his grace. So the reason that's important is you might think, well, God created the world perfect. Man messed it up with sin. And God, in response to the sin, had to formulate a new purpose. He didn't. Because it says right there in the text, verse 4, God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to the praise of the glory of His grace. Grace was the plan from before eternity, before there was any sin that needed grace. Grace was the plan. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Paul, the inspired apostle, said it, not me. Step number three. God's plan was that the praise of the glory of His grace would come about through His Son, Jesus Christ. Same verse. We're just unpacking one verse or two verses. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. So, before the foundation of the world, God was choosing, predestining, and planning the praise of the glory of His grace through Jesus Christ. He was not going to display grace apart from Jesus. We're Christians. We're not Muslims. We're Christians. The eternal Son of God in consultation with the Father in the fellowship of the Trinity, made a holy plan. Son, will you go and suffer and die and rise again in order to save your enemies? Yes, Father, I will. That was what happened. The plan was eternal. And it was a plan of grace. According to Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. Let me read you another verse to underline that. 2 Timothy 1, verse 9. 
God called us, so you should think of yourself here, God called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So why were you called into the fellowship of Christ? Not because of anything you did, but before the ages began, grace was planned in Jesus for your sake. That's amazing. That's breathtaking. Number four. Step number four. From eternity, God's plan has been the glory or the praise of the glory of His grace. That it would happen through Jesus. And now I'm adding, and that it would happen through His cross. That is, His death. This was planned. The death of Jesus as the crowning display of the grace of God for His enemies was planned. How do I know that? Well, I don't know that. The Bible teaches me that. I don't, nobody would come up with this on their own. This is what the Bible says. For example, in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, there's a description of the beast. And some people are worshiping the beast. And others are not worshiping the beast. They're going to die rather than worship the beast. Why would they die? rather than worship the beast. Let me read it to you. This is Revelation 13, verse 8. Everyone will worship the beast whose names are not written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. The reason they're not worshiping the beast is because their names are in a book. When were their names written in the book? Before the world began. And what's the name of the book? The book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. That's the plan. This is not plan B. This is before the foundation of the world. God wrote a book. And He put names in it. And the title of the book is The Book of the Life of the Lamb Who Was Slain. The crowning moment of the revelation of the glory of God is the revelation of His grace. And the crowning person revealing the revelation of grace is Jesus Christ. 
and the crowning moment when Jesus glorifies the grace of God most is when He was slain for us who don't deserve it at all. That's grace. That's glory. That's worth praising forever. In fact, Revelation 5.9 says that's exactly what we will praise forever. You were slain and by your blood you ransomed people from every tribe, every people, every nation and made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. We're going to sing glory. We're going to sing grace. We're going to sing Christ. We're going to sing cross forever. That's why this world exists. We are a God people. We are a glory people. We are a Christ people. We are a cross people. And therefore, we are a gospel people. This is the knowledge. This is the news everybody needs to hear. And you know it now. You know it. And our prayers for this conference, this Congress, our prayers is that you, touched by the Spirit of God, would open your mouth with such boldness and such clarity in your churches, in your neighborhoods, in your communities and your nations, that there would be a shaking in Europe, a shaking a new, fresh reformation of the God-centered gospel of grace. So, Father, I pray, as I close now, I pray for Your people in this room that they would be so confident in this Word. Not in themselves, not in religious tradition, and not in me but in this holy, inspired, glorious, explosive Word, that they would be so confident that they would open their mouths and speak a nation-transforming gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.